You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, guys. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This one is something that I'm super excited about sharing. We're back talking interior design again this morning. Of course, we've got our expert, Kelly Doniger, in the room from 13 Interiors. Kelly, we're talking today about the five interior design trends of 2019. Now, look, you're going to surprise me with all these, I think. <laughs> right. Kelly, cheers coming in. Thank you for having me again. All right. Let's start off with some things that maybe I can understand and we'll, then we'll get harder. We're talking about the marble products, the stone products. Yes, definitely a lot of uh, trends coming through in that area at the moment. I, I think the general aesthetic of that marble look finish is still very much a hot trend for 2019. On the benches or the on walls or the floors? Benches, walls, everywhere. Um, everywhere. So, so we're creating a sauna. Use, is yeah. that- <laughs> use sparingly, I was going to say. <laughs> so some people might use that as their, say their focal point. But I think it's very much still a colour trend and a aesthetic that people are flowing through their homes. And there's definitely a lot more budget-friendly pieces in those elements of design. So some people might choose to use a marble-looking tile now as a as a feature in um, porcelain sheets. We've done that a couple of times recently. In yeah, our okay. And they're fantastic. And they're yeah. not even that expensive. No, you can like get 30, them in... 40 bucks a, a square metre compared to obviously what marble would be. Yeah, definitely. So you can very much get huge format slab pieces now. Like some tile pieces can come in three metres by one metre now. And they're also great to use as features. Like I've just um, designed one into a TV unit. So we've got some uh, cabinetry along the bottom and then we've got a pillar of a porcelain slab. So we're definitely seeing still those marble trends, but definitely now in a thinner format. So I am seeing uh, four, six mil and even 12 mil uh, stone features uh, throughout different products and different ranges and different brands. I personally got to see the Decton products last week with uh, Constantino and which is a you know a fabulous brand that we have um, in Australia and overseas and the quality of those products is amazing. We got to do a durability test. Okay. So I got to um, basically do a permanent marker over this stone material and then it washed off with water. So is it stone or is it manufactured stone? It's like a, it's an engineered stone so manufacture. That's, that's that's what we're doing these days. Do people care whether it's marble or marble look? So, uh, there's so many of these Defi- products here. Yeah, yeah, stones, all that yeah, stuff. yeah. We're definitely seeing people uh, take more of an interest in what the product is because people want hard wearing. I think um, for my type of clientele, I am seeing that people really want something that's going to function well with families and not be an issue if they're putting a glass on the bench or, you know, need to, um, a kid spills over the beetroot juice and the red wine spills over when you're having a party. So we definitely want to, uh, people are wanting to see products that are going to be easy to look after versus products that are very porous, which is the real 
stones and I'm also seeing part of the trends now with real stones being engineered to be more durable as well. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting in stone world, I think. Right. So your pick on the marble products is actually a marble alternative. Engineered products, yeah, yeah. that are a lot thinner in profile, moving away from the chunky 40 mil finishes and even getting smaller than the common 20 mils down to that six and 12 mil feature. So we're talking bench tops. Bench tops, bathroom bench tops, wall features, splashbacks, large format tiles. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll keep my eyes out for that because I'm still asking. I'm proud to say I think I was on that trend of making it thinner. I'm asking for the 20s because most most of our clients, when we're putting a home together, they say, oh, what do you reckon about the the thicker bench top? And I'm saying, no, I think we should stick to the 20s. But there's 12s now. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, which can be really nice. And you can sort of play with those a little bit with um, bench top areas too and create different levels. So you might have like a lower level that becomes more of a breakfast bench in a different material. And then the higher areas, a thinner profile, that the area where the sink might be. So people are definitely playing with lots of different materials and textures but looking for longevity in those materials and different things like especially with those larger format tiles it's minimizing grout lines uh, less wear and tear less cleaning well if it's a three by one tile and you have a three meter wide room Mm. no longer looks like a tile anymore does it? that's right yeah Definitely. One big slab. Yes. And being able to uh, book and book leaf those uh, particular slabs as well so they match around corners is a huge trend too that is something that's been around for a long time. But uh, still, you can still do that with those uh, smaller format. One trend that I've noticed has been sustaining itself for quite a while has been the Scandi look. Mm. My apartment is is a Scandi sort of style, <laughs> right? And that's my claim. There's nothing wrong with Scandi. <laughs> is, is it still in? Is it, Are we moving away towards something new or is it going to be cool for a while to come? Look, I think there's still people that love the Scandi look. I, I personally, uh, my home is not Scandi and I do think we're starting to see a little bit more of a shift to some darker timbers, darker woods. People are starting to get a little bit more creative, which I think is really great for interior designers. We're not seeing everyone just gravitate to those lighter oaks and those lighter timbers. And, and the grey fabrics. Yeah, and the grey fabrics. We're, we're starting to see more of the luxury interiors because I think a lot of that is becoming more affordable too and a lot of furniture companies and businesses are getting on board and creating more um, products that are darker but versatile i'm struggling right now to picture anything other than a home theater okay yeah i'm definitely seeing a lot more darker kitchens so people getting more creative with darker cabinetry are they using golds as accents on this dark am i is that what i'm thinking or is there something else no i think people are looking at uh, they're still interested in black finishes in the tapware but i'm starting to see now people getting more involved with the gunmetals and the nickel so a lot more of the tapware companies are bringing out not just the plain chrome and the plain black i think black was cuz black was the cool yeah, a couple of years ago yeah well I I still think it is, but I'm seeing now more of a trend towards the nickel and the gunmetal. I've specced in a couple of um, products like that with clients lately, and it's becoming more and more popular. What you see on a practical side in the showrooms that the building 
companies, right? That I notice is when it's cool, it's a it's an upsell, and yeah. then when the next cool thing comes in, it, they they fold it into the standard spec. So yeah. right now, you go to the building companies, and the standard spec is chrome and black. Whereas a couple of years ago, it was yeah. just chrome and black was the upsell. Now, chrome and black is a standard. Definitely, yes. And then yes. there's the yeah. gunmetal or the nickel as the upsell. That's right. At some point, I guess, in the next couple of years, yeah, maybe, maybe they find a supplier and that comes into the standard spec as well. But maybe then we're moving on to green. I don't know. What's yeah, the... oh, maybe we'll do a, a roundabout and come back to rose gold. Yeah. <laughs> maybe rose gold will come back in. But, yeah, we're definitely uh, – it's it's getting more into the gun metals and that nickel kind of matte finish. That very much the matte look is current for 2019. And that comes back to your cabinetry as well, those matte finishes. Not so much those glossy, shiny surfaces. Easier where, for maintenance, isn't it? Exactly. It's all about functionality, longevity, easy for families. Uh, a lot of the companies like Polytech are bringing out fingerprintless products for cabinetry where you can touch those and you're not getting those fingerprints all. Oh, that's massive. Yes, it's huge. So those are some really nice products that, you know, designers get to choose from to source for their clients to make it more functional, yeah. Showers. We've seen the the waterfall, the, the <laughs> rain thing coming from the top. We've got the handheld. We've got the non-handheld. What's cool right now in showers? Oh, I think I've seen some recently jets out of the wall. <laughs> uh, look, I think it depends on your budget. And uh, also functionality, need to really consider the height of um, the tallest person that's going to be using that shower as well. I know for my own shower, my husband is six foot four. So we have the big overhead rain, rain shower head, but we also have the handheld, uh, which is great that you can adjust. So it's about functionality versus and budget. Optionality, it sounds like. Yeah, and optionality, yeah. Okay. And how fancy do you want to get in the shower? <laughs> Window treatments. This is one where I'm always interested because it seems to be changing all the time. Mm-hmm. What are, we've got sheer curtains, we've got verticals, Venetians, shutters. What's what's in right now? What's definitely not in right now? Sheer curtains, definitely in. Venetians, definitely out. Well, as far as Venetian vertical blind scenario is definitely okay. out. I feel like that's a little bit more uh, maybe budget savvy, maybe for some uh, development homes it's a little bit cheaper to do. I think the sheer curtains is definitely in and the trend for that is to have your block out behind. So when you're using them in a, in a space where you do need to block out the light, say for your bedroom, a lot of people are putting in the darker block out fabric behind on a separate track and then having the sheer on a separate track in front so that when you're pulling back that curtain throughout the day, you've got that nice sheer creating a really soft textured nice light feeling to the room still filtering out some of the light but you're also getting that block out requirement that you might need at night time okay and then finally kitchen appliances is bigger better i don't think so because i think we're kind of lending to our an environment these days where we're not always cooking at home we're Pretty fast-paced lifestyles. Uh, I certainly don't spend hours on end with my oven in use. I've just got the standard, you know, 600 uh, mil oven in my home. I've got a 
versatile microwave though that sits above it that can steam that can microwave that can grill so i think people are looking at products that are more multi-use and multifunctional kelly i think our time's up for today yes thank you uh cheers for that i appreciate it this definitely is a topic that i think we have to update every six or 12 months to make sure that i'm on trend right (laughs) because i've been i've been showing up in a couple of uh of these questions today i think obviously it's always a budget versus preference question yeah it is you can't just be spending money for the sake of it sometimes whilst there's obviously uh, benefits in your preference if you're living there there's a lot of things that you can spend that just don't add any value on the end sale price. Yeah, definitely. And that's where we talk about with the appliances as well. You don't have to have the high-end appliances, say, in, in, in development, you know, particularly because they maybe they're not forever homes for people and those appliances can be, you know, changed out down the track and that's not something you want to do if they're really expensive high-end products. Kelly, cheers for that. Thank I'll you. have you in again very soon. Okay, so we have spotlight time. Now we are talking about Mount Claremont today and we have one person that can help us with that conversation. It is Mount Claremont's number one agent, Simon McGrath. Simon, thanks very much for coming in. Oh, shucks. Number one, <laughs> hey. Um, look, it's a pleasure to be here and, and thanks for asking us in. Uh, mate, let's talk about a suburb that I guess is pretty quiet. There's not a lot of through roads in this suburb and it's got some nice views and parks around town. Let's talk about Mount Claremont. Hit me up with some fun facts and some history. It's uh, essentially divided into two separate divisions. And there's what we call Old Mount Claremont, which is mainly to the west of the suburb. And they're quarter acre blocks or or close to them. They're 1,012 square metre blocks. And it's homes built in the, say, mid to early 50s. Uh, There's a sprinkling of 1960s homes through there. And they've uh, recently been re-R-coded from a split code which was previously R1020, and only one house in five could be subdivided. And now all of them are R20. So you've got 1,012 square metres, and they're now zoned R20. Mm. But that's um, not altering the the character of the suburb that much because people are are buying those quarter-acre blocks, 1,012 square metre blocks, and building some really impressive single homes on them. They're not subdividing them. So you'd think that, you know, because you can subdivide, people would. They'd make use of it, yeah. But the, the suburb rides in the coattails of Claremont, Nedlands, Dalkeith, There's still Swan a lot Warren. of big statement homes coming De- up. Yeah. Unquestionably. And also it's, the, it's the, the feeder for some of the best private schools. So not unusual to uh, live in Mount Claremont and have kids going to Scotch, PLC, Christchurch, you know, the Perth's best schools yeah. because it's geographically close. The other thing not everybody realises about it is that it's incredibly close to the beach, certainly closer to the beach than Nedlands, Dalkeith. So it's sort of knocking on the door of Swanbourne Cottesloe to some degree. you just got a big park in between, don't you? Well, you do. It's a Cottesloe golf course <laughs> and, <laughs> and bowl park too. And bowl park and West Coast. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, and, but really, it's, it is what, max five, max five minutes? Yeah, literally max five minutes. It's seen as really good value buying in the western suburbs because you get that full 1,012 square metres. Most of those big old blocks have got laneways at the rear, giving you real options about you know whether you put garaging and studios off the laneway and build a, a, a nice executive-style home in, the, in the, the rest of the block. Or you can chop them into two. In terms of uh, amenities, one thing that I question about Mount Claremont, mm. given it's not close to 
a train station like Claremont is or down in yeah. Cottesloe, it seems to be a bit more tucked away. If someone hasn't driven through there before, are there any notable walk score outcomes, you know, uh, shopping centres or, you okay. know, places for coffee? Yeah. What's the lifestyle in Mount Claremont or do you have to go somewhere else to really have that? It's... Well, it's not a big suburb per se. I think it's uh, 1,800 homes. You've got Mount Claremont Shopping Centre, which is tiny in itself, really cute, built in the 1940s. And uh, that's gone through a rejuvenation, and it's now got a fantastic cafe called Deli Kiki. The bakery now is just outstanding. Um, there's a, another takeaway pre-made food shop that's gone in. There's a liquor store, hairdressers. But it's just gone through this complete metamorphosis into the little, you know, it's the urban barista spot. It's It really is something. Now, for years, it's been sleepy. Now, that's right in the heart of old Mount Claremont. But very close to the outskirts of Mount Claremont, you've got things like, you know, Florit Forum, which is really, really close. And then you've got, the, you know, the Claremont Quarter and all the shopping precincts there. So I take your point that there's no major shopping centres in Mount Claremont, but they're just on the boundaries. They're very close. So is that maybe the lifestyle that we're looking for in Mount Claremont? People that are living there, they're recognising that they're only a couple of minutes away from all those services and they also get to enjoy that quiet lifestyle where people aren't really driving through that to look, get around? Look, spot on. It's not Subiaco or Leadville. You're not going to walk out of your front door. Or unless Claremont you, itself even. Well, parts of Claremont. Okay, because if you live in the River Precinct and you want to get a coffee, you're either going to have to go to the Bay View, the Bay Pantry. Like you will drive to get a coffee if you live in parts of Claremont. So it's you know there's some similarities in that respect. In that all the major shopping facilities are on the boundaries of Mount Claremont. Mm. However, there is you know there's there is some great little coffee spots and that sort of stuff, but they're not plentiful. But unlike let's say Subiaco, where you just walk out of your front door and you know you stumble across a coffee shop within minutes. It's not that sort of suburb. It's uh, mainly driven by upper middle management or small business people who, have, who have families. Yeah, yeah, it is a real family neighbourhood. Yeah. So they value the fact that they're living on those quarter-acre blocks. Now, I've actually so far in the conversation left out of it the section which is St. John's Wood and St. Peter's Square. That's around the school's playing fields, right? It's actually slightly east of the suburb and bordered by the railway line. Yep. So you've got, you're close to public transport in that respect. But they're, they're far more modern subdivisions in their 80s, 90s, 2000. So, and they're smaller blocks, they're more modern homes, and it's a different lifestyle than those big old quarter acre blocks that we're discussing in old Mount Claremont. The families that live right across the suburb are literally that. They're living there to get access to John 23rd, which is probably the best Catholic school in the state, uh, and those other private schools, and also Shenton College catchment is there. And that's a massive draw card. If you're in a situation to be able to afford something like a, a private school level of education for your kids, mm -hmm. John 23rd really is, especially as a co-ed school, the premier co-ed school and a private space in WA? I would I'd agree with you. Uh, the word being co-ed because the other ones are not. They're, yeah, uh, probably the only school in that financial space that is co-ed. All the rest I, I, are single sex. I, I believe you're right. Also, it's it's seen as really good value for money. It gives a great education, beautiful surrounds, you know, set in a, a lovely surrounding, and um, and it's co-ed. Who's buying off you? Is it these days? In the last couple of years, is it still that executive family? who can afford to live there? Or is there a changing of guard? Are there um, younger people coming in? Or given the lifestyle amenity score that Mount Claremont would have, is it really only applicable to that family? You've got two groups. Um, the 
the smaller properties in places like St. Peter's Square and parts of St. John's Wood, they can be older owners, older demographic altogether. And some of them don't even have kids. They're just grateful to stay local and downsize possibly out of larger homes. And then you've got the other demographic, which is couples in their mid-late 30s with two small children. That's the bulk of my market. They're the people I'm meeting Mm. at Home Opens. Now, at these Home Opens, how cheap can it get and how expensive can it get? Can you run us through sure. from bottom to top, I guess, Sure. what we're looking at here? Okay. What, what could I buy into Mount Claremont uh, for? Okay, let's do this. You've got a couple of arterial roads with some old houses on those arterial roads, and that's Rochdale Road, Alfred Road. Now, on Alfred Road, you can pick up a pretty, a, 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 you know, just livable property that's been subdivided already, let's say from around 700,000. It'll provide you with accommodation and access to all those good things that you want to have access to. But you're on a busy street. Yeah, well, it's not Sterling Highway. It's not, not the freeway. But it is the way to Cottesloe. It I, is. I mean, from myself, for example, if I was uh, coming from the city, I would probably take that street. Sure. And, you know, that's shown in the price, yep. literally. Right up to, I just sold one in uh, Mayfair Street for just a touch under $3 million. So that's mm. the sort of range, um, and that's a, a you know beautiful modern home on a, on the quarter acre, with magnificent landscaping and, Some and views. little bit of little views to the city. Not a great deal. As a mean or a median house, though, what are we looking for? Are we just getting hey, a four, the, two story four by two in the mid ones? Yeah, you would. Okay, and depending on the lot size, if you if you're chasing that uh, four by two on a smaller lot, which means um, St John's Wood or St Peter's Square. Probably down to about 1.2. And it's really that western side of the suburb where you're getting the quarter acres and you're paying for not only the land, but then whatever the build is on top of that. I'll break that into two categories, uh, you know, built form. So houses that have been put on those lots and they are literally commanding a, a nice modern house on a 1,012 square metres will command somewhere between, say, two, two and a half quite easily, yep. depending on the quality of the, the build and the age of the build. Then the block you know, with an old house, a 1950s home, and you've got a lot, I think 12.5% of the suburb is considered to be elderly people, and a lot of those people are in those old homes, which means that's a market that's constantly becoming available. Those lots, depending exactly where they are, probably between, say, 1.3 and some of the better streets, 1.7, okay. just for the land. And that's a subdivisible lot. Well, let's let's segue straight into that subdiv- subdivision sure. segment. Uh, we, you spoke of it earlier in terms of that western side with the quarter acres, and that's a really interesting point. And this highlights for a lot of people listening the tiny little policy that you could get caught on if you don't read the policy properly. Initially, that dual density, that split code, the criteria to get there was maximum of one in five houses. Very easy to miss, isn't it? I'm sure you've had people who may have purchased or wanted to purchase in the in the past go on, yeah, I'll throw that down and then maybe realized, hang on a sec, we've got some issues with council here. Personally, I've never been involved with that, but I'm sure you know, in history it's happened. Yeah. But it's been a bit of a waiting game. This, you know, I've been selling in this suburb now for 22 years and the dialogue has been there pretty loud for the last 10 years that um, there's been a lobby for it to happen and been a lobby against it. And it's only been the last, say, six months that the uh, legislation was changed, opening it up. Oh, geez, it really isn't much of a change. When you think about what's happened in the city of Netherlands, where they've yeah. looked at those, uh, you know, St- Stirling Highway and Broadway yeah. and Waratah, changing those to uh, 40s, 60s, 160s, massive apartments that can come up here. Yeah. Simply just affirming R20, which is the norm for the rest of the state. Exactly. Is a pretty small step. You're absolutely 
right. I don't know how that took that long to happen, really. I guess it was kind of forgotten. The um, council, it's still, it comes under Netherlands Council, mm. and for years they've been under-resourced. So whilst there's been new town planning schemes proposed... About Netherlands and Dalkeith. Yeah. Yep. The, the local councils just throw their hands in the air and say, look, we've got the resources, all the, you know, the time to tackle this, and it just keeps getting put on the back burner. Yeah. And that's been the case for five, ten years. You know what, though I think this really represents a great opportunity for the renewal that's probably required for that part. It is a premium suburb. There are premium opportunities for people to put very nice homes here. And most people don't really need or want more than 500 square metres these days. That's a pretty generous block in whatever suburb you're in. Yeah, particularly with a two-storey house on it now. Easily. When you look back when they were called quarter acres, well, people were building single-storey houses on them. So, you know, 500 square metre block will easily take a, a very nice four-by-two, two-storey home and leave plenty back. of garden. Yep. Tons of garden on 505 square metres. Now, the laneways at the back are real bonus because that allows you to put your garaging off the back. You don't have the, the wastage of the six-metre setback with a dr- most of that being driveway and stuff. Probably, I think, the trend's going to be you'll see maybe a single carport or, or, a, or just a, a crossover at the front and the garaging off, off the back and the laneways. Making the most of that space for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the facade looks nicer. No one likes to see garages, really. So if you can, the less crossovers you have, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the council's not going to want to have two sets of five and a half meter crossovers on the 20 meter width it used to have, that's for sure. So the laneways will help. I guess it allows for a lot more variety in that built form, as I are saying, where you could have the house and then the pool and the backyard and then the garage at the back making use of so much more space. Yeah, most of the lots are 20 metres by 50. So you've still got a, a, a 10 metre frontage. Mm. And the big change I'm seeing at the moment is the quality of construction. The days are gone where you you, know, you sort of had the salmon brick uh, front rear subdivision with a chocolate brown driveway and, and it was pretty nasty. Really now the quality of the construction, what people are spending in the, in that suburb has just gone through the roof. You know, it's already a great place to be, but the streetscape's just getting better and better. What's your prediction for Mount Claremont 10 years from now? What, wow. cha- what changes? I, I think we'll see all, in, the, in 10 years, I think we'll see all of those homes that are you know, subdivisible go. The demographic is such that those homes are generally owned by older people and they're single. And you can almost drive past and predict which house it is, you know, the gardens are worn. looking worn and all that sort of stuff. And you know that's coming up at, at some stage. So those will all go. And they will be replaced with really high quality homes. So I'm seeing a gentrification. And the people that are moving in are interested in the things you described earlier, such as, you know, coffee shops you can walk to and that sort of thing. So that little precinct in the middle of Mount Claremont. It's a bit was, old. It, it, is, it's, it needs some love. Yeah. It's it's already on the march. Last question for you, Simon. Median house price in Mount Claremont. Yeah. What is it? 1.2. If you had that in your back pocket walking around Mount Claremont uh, tomorrow morning, what would you be trying to buy? I wouldn't hesitate to try and put my foot on a quarter acre block again, 1,012. They just don't make them anymore. The days are gone. It's a, it was a, a wonderful period in time when in the 1950s where you wanted to grow vegetables, have a hill's hoist, a brick barbecue in the middle of your yard, and you, you wanted to play cricket with the kids. What that's brought about is this fantastic suburb where all the blocks, you're not cheek by jowl with your neighbours. You end up after subdivision with 505 square metres. And I just think once they're all gone, they're gone. And you're between Claremont and the beach, 
and uh, Florit Forum, and you've got the rail system. It's, it offers so much that is not available in other suburbs. Bonus question that's come up at the last second in my head here. <laughs> when I think about Mount Claremont and I think about how it's been explained today and the lifestyle and the way it was first annexed and the fact it's a little bit outside of the town centres along the railway, do you think Mount Claremont was the Alchemos of the 50s? It actually was. I've spoken to elderly people, or, you know, early residents from that suburb, and they tell me stories about the track, which is now the the western end of Alfred Road, being a sand track going through the sand hills with um, planks on it. Yeah. And you were driving through the planks through the sand hills to get to the beach. So it very much was. And, and those streets that back onto Cottesloe Golf Course, which is, you know, Mayfair, Haldane, Asquith, that was literally like Alchemos. That was the edge of Perth. It was the edge of Perth. Simon, thank you so much. Been a pleasure. For, for Great leaving fun. us with that. I uh, hope to have you in very soon to either talk about this one again or another one that you nab uh, number one on. It'll be a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!